Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. I'm so excited to talk to Good Guys Talk Back host Nick Marowski. But just real quick, a real quick programming note for all of you listeners out there. In the near future, it is happening. I've talked to our bosses here at the Bleed Podcast Network. I want, first of all, I want to thank them so much for bringing me onto this network to give me this platform to be able to talk to people. But moving forward, we're going to be changing the name of the show. As you formerly know, it has been Believe in Betting Chicago. Look, this show was meant to be just talking about sports gambling and Chicago sports, but obviously, I have a lot more interest in that. I love talking to people. I love hearing their stories. I love talking about pop culture. I love talking about movies. I love debating topics. And oh yeah, I love talking about Chicago sports. And now I'm going to get that opportunity to do it under a brand new name. It's a rebrand, ladies and gentlemen. So coming forward, get ready for my new show called Bet on Chicago. Because look, it's the greatest city in the world. I absolutely love what I'm doing right now. So why wouldn't you place a bet on Chicago the life, the people, the sports, and all that comes around with it. And I want to thank you all so much for making it happen. Look, a lot of this has to do with viewership is up right now. The listeners, you guys have been so amazing and so great. You guys are coming back. This isn't the first time you've listened to the pod. Thank you so very much. And I just really, really appreciate it because this is something that I'm so passionate about. And I'm hoping to continue to entertain you in the future. So if you're asking yourself, hey, I like the show, or maybe, you know what, you just like me, Joey Christopoulos, you can always help out by you know listening to all the episodes, sharing them on your social media hey even if you tell a friend hey i got this one podcast you gotta check out this guy knows what he's talking about and he brings on great guests that goes a long way too as well and if you want to go even the furthest route to really give me a high five head on over to apple Podcasts, try and give me a five-star rating leave a comment do all that good stuff look the algorithm notices that stuff it all means something even your little comment goes a long way to keeping this show going so that's the new announcement you guys get ready for it coming really soon and now officially the first new episode of Believe in Bet on Chicago. Let's roll. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in Bet on Chicago. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. And look, it's the month of June, and it is heating up with tons of exciting sports action. And BetOnline is where you can find it, from basketball and hockey playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and futures. BetOnline has all the odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. So visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head on over to BetOnline and start playing today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming into the pod today. It is 100,000 degrees in Southern California, but we're going to talk some Chicago White Sox baseball today with our host, Good Guys Talk Back, Nick Morowski. Nick, hello, Nick. Hey, Joey. Um, the Sox are white hot. Uh, first place uh, in June. Uh, it's been a while, so this is going to be a lot of fun. So hot that I have to wear a tank top, my Bo Jackson tank top today for the video hit. So get ready, everybody, because you're absolutely correct. The Chicago White Sox, no matter what happens, they continue to keep on winning. So let's roll through the stats real quick. They're 41 and 24 right now in the AL Central. They're up five and a half games over the Cleveland Indians. They have an MLB best 106 run differential. They're fifth in the league in team OPS. They're fourth in team ERA. They're 25 and 11 at home, 16 and 13 on the road, 16 and four versus left-handed pitching. They're only 11 and 16 versus plus 500 teams. But Nick, we're going to find out a lot more about that this week when they play the Rays and Astros. So tell me if you, if someone walked up to you right now and they just said, Nick, I have not watched a single game this season. I have been in a coma. I've been ripping through mayor of East town. I've been trying to do breaking bad for the 4,000th time. I just haven't watched baseball. How would you characterize the Chicago white Sox team to someone that hasn't seen a game yet this year? 
I mean, they're opportunistic. They are taking advantage of uh, feasting on inferior teams. They are, uh, they've got a next man up mentality, you know, guys like Danny Mendick, uh, Adam Engel, who's thankfully back Billy Hamilton, you know, now he's hurt. Um, you know, Brian Goodwin just kind of came up when Nikki magical went down. Uh, we've, we've battled a lot of injuries. Socks uh, aren't the only team that have been battling injuries, but they have got this mentality of, you know, I don't know if it's the chemistry necessarily, but there's going to be a different hero every single night. And, and it, you, you hear these uh, quotes and you read the articles that uh, they just, they just want to, they want to support each other. You know, they're playing almost for each other. And uh, it's not necessarily the, the big guys of Brayu Mankata TA, although they're participating, it's these other guys like Vaughn that are getting opportunities and they're taking advantage of it when we need it. Uh, Mercedes, you know, uh, it's also pitching, Joey. I mean, we knew that the pitching was going to be stellar on this team before the season started, but I, I could have never imagined having guys like Lynn and Rodon uh, sub to ERA right now. Um, it, it's just been fantastic to watch the bullpens coming around, uh, even without Kopech for the last couple weeks. Uh, Hendrick is a delight to watch. Uh, and it all starts really, you know, uh, it starts again today against Tampa with Lance Lynn on the mound. And here we go. It's like you're confident every single start with the horses that the Sox have. Uh, so let's, like, let's keep it going. The baton passing with the starting pitching has been super impressive. And look, this is not a flawless baseball team, but what's been so amazing and galvanizing is that every time we find a flaw or a liability or someone goes down with an injury, oh man, what are we going to do with this area of the team? Someone just steps right up and makes it happen and it has a contribution and leads towards winning baseball. You're hitting it perfectly where, you know, I think Yoan Moncada is having a fantastic season. I think he's uh, getting into the potential that we all were hoping for when we acquired a Yoan Moncada for a Chris Sale and a deal. You know, Jose Abreu's top five in RBIs right now. Tim Anderson's three, hitting 300. And those aren't even the top headlines on this team because, as you mentioned, if it isn't a Yermin Mercedes, it's a guy like a Billy Hamilton that comes up. It's a guy that, like, uh, you know, a Brian Goodwin knocks in five runs when he gets up to the plate. It's a guy like Jake Lamb with some unexpected power off the bench. And now with Nick Madrigal down... Just next man up, Larry Garcia, Danny Mendick, whatever combination you want, you know, they come in and they're already contributing to this lineup. Billy Hamilton goes down, Adam Engel comes in. What can we say that hasn't already been said about Rick Hahn? I mean, this is truly, this is his mosaic. This is his collage kind of really on full display because the depth on this team is so impressive right now. And it really lends itself to not just having staying power, but continuing to be an elite team in the American League. Yeah, they, they definitely have utility guys that can play multiple positions, which is helpful. I mean, Garcia was playing third the other day to give Mankata a breather. Uh, you'll see Men Mendick out in, in the outfield, uh, which we've needed a lot of outfield help because we've had a variety of injuries out there. Look, this isn't the lineup uh, that any of us thought was going to take us to the promised land back in uh, 2017 or 2018 but it's the lineup we have and they're winning and enjoy the ride. Uh, just absolutely enjoy it. And it's the depth in the bullpen as well. Uh, you know, Foster has been a little off, you know, Marshall had some, uh, some moments where he was inconsistent. Uh, Bummer has not been uh, his self, but you've had other guys that are stepping up and you've got our starting pitchers being able to log innings. You know, they can go six, seven, sometimes eight, uh, eat up innings, 
And then, you know, you've got a, a short a close where a crochet can come in who has just been, you know, almost unhittable. So it's that it's that combination. Uh, we saw it coming a couple years ago uh, with what they were trying to build with this staff. And then the acquisition of Lynn for Dunning um, cemented it. You know, a lot of people, a lot of fans of baseball teams, they'll see acquisitions, right? And sometimes they'll see, you know, maybe like a repetitive addition, you know, take the White Sox, for example, we had Aloy, Luis Robert, and we went out and we got Adam Eaton in the outfield. And a lot of people were like, well, is Adam Eaton going to be our starter? Do we need to fortify that? Do we need to go out? You always need to keep going out, right? Because this season is so long. You know, this whole concept of where are we going to get at bats for everyone? You're always going to want to cover your bases. And what's been so great about this White Sox team is, as you mentioned, you know, if a guy like Marshall, who a guy that I think we walked into this season really banking on, he gets off to kind of a rough start. If you have that depth to kind of pull back on a couple of those guys, a guy like Foster, haven't seen him a lot lately. He came back the other day. I think he had two innings, scoreless innings, promising. You can pull back on those guys, try and work them out a little bit, and then reintroduce them again, and maybe they can contribute down, somewhere down the road. It's just this White Sox team isn't always banking on one person at one time. Now, if you lost a Tim Anderson or a Jose Abreu, maybe a different story. But outside of that, they just continually throw some different pieces out there. And as you mentioned, the starting pitching is really where it starts, right? Because, you know, they really, they've been taking care of business against the Detroit Tigers, but it isn't necessarily been like, you know, 15 to two, there's been some four to two victories and all that really starts with the starting pitching. And they've really begun to set the tone for what this team is all about. And maybe let some of these bench guys come up and be able to contribute. Yeah, when the offense isn't clicking, and uh, it, it hasn't throughout this season at times, you know, the ball is deadened slightly, uh, balls aren't flying out of the ballpark, our mashers like uh, Robert and Jimenez are gone, uh, Abreu hasn't really been mashing the ball like he's been used to, you know, Mancata's uh, power numbers aren't quite there, although they're coming around, Um for sure. Well, then there might be closer games and that's where you have to rely on pitching. That That's why pitching to me is the thread. You know, it's the common thread throughout a season. Sure. You're going to have some arm injuries, uh, but when you have depth in pitching like the Sox have, you can, you can weather that storm. And when you look at the AL central, I mean, when you, you, you mentioned the run diff, I mean, look where teams like Cleveland are at or Kansas city that are kind of sniffing like Kansas city's like, Oh, may maybe we can hang. No, you can't. I mean, look, like, look, look at yourself in the mirror. Like you're not going to be able to hang with this team uh, down the stretch. And I think I could say that about Cleveland for sure. Like it's close right now. But I think after another month or so, we're going to really separate ourselves. Sure, the Sox swept Detroit, an inferior team, but that's what good teams do. Get rid of the inferior teams and then compete against teams like Tampa and Houston. We are recording this just a couple hours away from first pitch. I got the Rays coming to town to play the White Sox and, you know, just kind of timestamp it. And also, if you looked at the lineup today, when you got Lance Lynn on the mound, right? That allows you to have Larry Garcia hitting third tonight, which I believe he is stepping in at third base to play for Moncada. Nick, on a scale of 1 to 10, Sox are about to play the Rays and the Astros. Now, these are two teams that mean business in the American League. These are two teams that definitely have their run differentials closer to the White Sox. That Astros lineup is super potent right now. On a scale of 1 to 10, how important is is these next two series and how like seriously should White Sox fans take it? Because keep in mind, after that, they play the Mariners, the Pirates, the Twins, the Tigers, the Twins, and the Orioles. So 
kind of a dress rehearsal, but then a big old break after that. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, you know, a scale of one to 10. It's like an eight, an eight and a half, uh, because you have been feasting on weaker teams. And, and you mentioned uh, the Sox record against teams that are above 500. That's why that Toronto series was so impressive last week. Uh, that is a team that can mash. That is a tough team. Uh, not just Vlad and Bichette, but they've got some hitters. And to take two or three from Toronto was a great sign. Uh, and I thought, well, maybe there'd be a let off, you know, okay, you're playing the lonely uh, Tigers and they can see uh, Tampa and Houston on the schedule. So that might be uh, like a weekend off or something. Uh, no, it wasn't like they took care of business in different ways, you know, different guys stepped up and, and there were different heroes. Uh, I think they're going to, they're going to focus up and, and my co-host Pat Hester on good guys talk back. He mentioned how important that we think it is to have Lance Lynn going game one to really punch him in the mouth, you know, the South side mentality, the emotion that he has, uh, it, Hey, it's not going to be easy against glass now, but I think these, this stretch of games is, is really, it'll show you where you're at as a team. Uh, when, when the deals might need to be made, uh, because you know, you can somewhat relax with, uh, teams like Pittsburgh uh, and, and so forth uh, as we head into the all-star break. Yeah, just kind of curious to see what happens. I think, uh, I don't know if they're lined up in this series, but the Rays got a couple left-handers in their rotation. White Sox 16-4 and four against lefties. I mean, that's carried over from last year when they absolutely dominated them. So that's always a matchup that I feel like tilts towards the south side. I'm with you where I, I am intrigued. I really want to see this Rays and Astros series, how we kind of match up. You know, do we fight him tooth and nail? Can we win a low-scoring game? Can we win maybe one of those games where it's an 8-6, 9-7? I'm going to go a little bit under for you where it's 6.5, where let's just say if they don't play as well, sure, there might be like a couple of doubts in terms of the long term of when we see these big boys again. But again, that schedule that comes up right after it, Sox are 17 games over right now. Even if they don't play great against the, against the Rays and then they don't play great against the Astros, they could still be 25 games over 500 by like the end of June. You know what I mean? So it's, I, yeah. Yeah. I, hey, I, I, I totally get what you're saying, but I am, I'm thinking of it more of like, well, who are you beating? You know? And uh, absolutely. Like we could still win a, run away with the division, but I think why Tampa and Houston is so critical because then you could figure out, well, how do I match against the elite? And do I need, do I need to go make a move that I don't, don't necessarily want to make a move to fill in a magical situation? You know, uh, okay. Aloy might be coming back sooner than we think. Uh, now, if you get just pounded by Tampa and Houston and your, your weaknesses are exposed, then Han might have to say, damn, I, I didn't want to have to make these moves. Now I'm going to have to make them so we can uh, not just, you know, survive, but weather the storm here. Uh, if you play really well, then that is a signal to the organization that like, okay, don't react, don't overreact and make a move. You know what I mean? Don't deplete. Uh, we're going to be okay. It was a little bit down the set list, but let's pull it up right now, man. Let's talk about those moves, like the possibility of those moves. For people that have listened to this pod and I've, when I've had Nick on, uh, first of all, thank you for listening. But also, I've been pretty steadfast the moment Aloy got hurt with the fait accompli that Rick Hahn was going to have to make a move. And I always thought it was going to have to be significant. I've thrown out Nick Castellanos on the pod before. Last week, I was pitching David Peralta. Where are you on that? Because I will be honest with you, in terms of you know whether they beat the Rays and the Astros, 
on the schedule doesn't mean as much to me, but whether they can hold up with them is what I'm going to be kind of looking at a little bit closer. Like if they lose a couple of games, four to three, I'm not going to lose my shit. But I think that has a lot to do with Rick Hahn because, man, I'm sort of kind of leaning a little bit closer to they might not need to make a move. They might have yeah. enough to get by right now. The chemistry might be so good. And I'm sorry, I love watching a guy hit a single and then the guy immediately goes from first to third. I love when, you know, mm-hmm. the ball bounces around a little bit and we got the speed at the bottom of that lineup to go from first to home. Maybe we don't need that big bopper that I've been clamoring for all along. The Sox are possibly proving me wrong. Where are you on that possible acquisition side of things moving forward? I'm not on the big bopper move. Like I don't, I I don't think we need the big thunder bat. Um, I think we need a little bit more of offense and I think moves will be made. Uh, I, I like some of the names that you threw out there. I mean, Peralta is playing for a very, very bad diamondbacks team. Um, <laughs> Uh, and a, a name that get, gets thrown out quite a bit among Sox fans is Adam Frazier from Pittsburgh. He plays second base. Uh, his numbers are good. Uh, and I feel like if Madrigal goes down with a season ending surgery, it's not just simply the 60 day, even the 60 day is going to be a problem because he's going to have to rehab and he'll be, be sent down to Charlotte uh, for a stint. Um, pirates are not in it. They're not, they're not going to compete in the, uh, NL central. So that could be potential. That's a intriguing name for me, uh, to play, to throw him at second base. The only thing that I'll counter with Adam Frazier is, um, I believe he is first or second right now in all-star voting. So he's cruising for an all-star appearance. He's hitting three thirty-six, and you're like, Joey, well, what's the problem? Well, the problem is, is his price is probably going to be a little bit higher. It's probably going to be 125 cents on the dollar. Kind of makes me a little squeamish. And then the other one is if you kind of look into him a little bit, he's got good numbers career-wise, but his BABIP is over 380 right now, which typically lends itself towards quite a little bit of a, a regression. Yeah, is he the second baseman or is he the corner and outfielder that we're looking for? You know, where are you on right field right now? Because Adam Eaton, he's struggling, man. He just can't hit lefties. You can't play him against lefties. He hasn't really been able to turn the corner. He's been great with runners in scoring position, but, man, they've had to mix and match that spot mm. for a long time. Where, where do you see from the right field position? Because Frazier could play out there too as well. Uh, you can get uh, Castellanos. You can try to get Castellanos, something that they probably should have done a long time ago. Um, that's been well documented. I, you know, I, I I get the, you know, use Eaton for a right-handed hitter, use Angle for a left-handed hitter. I'm kind of, I personally am done with that. Uh, throw Ingle in right field, put Brian Goodwin in center field. And, and, you know, Vaughn has been able to hold his own and left. And then we worry about when things uh, happen with Aloy coming back. Um, you know, Mendy can play out in the outfield if needed. Um, you know, put Lurie in, in the infield. Um, th- there's a lot of moving parts that LaRusa has the opportunity for. To your point with Frazier, uh, that, that is 100% correct. And every organization knows the Sox situation. I mean, they are gunning for this year. It's turning into uh, not just a division chase, but potentially a pennant chase. We've got the horses. You know, we've got um, the, the cornerstone. And, and everybody knows we've hit injuries. So, of course, they're going to make us pay through the nose, you know, because they have things that we desperately need. That's why if we take care of business against Tampa and Houston, against these elite teams, then we can almost, hey, we don't need that necessarily. Okay. We've got some guys that you might be interested in our system. 
Uh, we've got some money, but you know, we're not as desperate as you guys think we are. So if you lose to Tampa and, and Houston, then it becomes even more, uh, you know, the precedent is even more to have to potentially overpay. And that's the question that I'm asking myself is, man, you know, what does it matter if by mid July, you're 25 games over 500, and you and and it was reported you told us on the pre-pod uh Aloy's you know possibly going to maybe start taking some swings in a cage and maybe might be going on a rehab assignment by early August. You know, can you wait it out? Now I got a fun one for you. But let's talk Brian Goodwin just real quick. Um I I for the last 5 years I've I've written uh fantasy sports for this company called rotoballer.com and I've covered the Angels for the past couple of years. So I know Brian Goodwin pretty damn well and here i'll tell you right now what to expect from brian goodwin as a white Sox fan in april uh, april 2019 i pulled it up uh april 2019 slash 342 437 603 four homers five doubles 11 rbi 17 runs scored in 24 games july uh in the month of july last year shortened season uh shorter uh sample size but nine for 20 450 one triple two doubles two home runs seven rbi six games this guy comes out of the gate hotter than anyone else I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, that five RBI thing was not a fluke, Sox fans. I agree with you. I think we need to play him as much as we can for the next 40 to 60, 70 at-bats because I guarantee you it will go away. The guy is wonderful about, I think, coming up with a game plan and kind of sneaking up on opposing pitching. He's not good at making adjustments. So I think that he's a great, I mean, he's one of Tony LaRusso's Band-Aid boys, right? Like he's like, mm -hmm. bring the dude in and come on in. And I think he'll be able to do something production wise. I'm just saying in terms of long-term, I don't know how I feel about Brian Goodwin, which also has been kind of asking questions too about, you know, let's have their, your mean Mercedes talk just real quick, you know, last 128 at bats hitting only 210. He had 10 extra base hits in his first two, 82 at bats. He's only had six in his last 128. I mean, the guy's still hitting 256 with two strikes. That's impressive as hell. Where are you with him right now? It's been a great story. Do you think he can make that adjustment? I'm not saying he hits 415 like he did in that first month, but that could that position also sort of be in the mix of Rick Hahn's consideration if he is to acquire someone in the next month or so? Yeah, he's an interesting uh, situation uh, because, again, like without Aloy's injury, there is no Yerminator. Uh, we do not get this experience. Um, and, you know, you root for a guy like Yermin, but we all knew there's no way you're going to be able to sustain those types of numbers throughout the season. Um, and like Mankata previous years, like Aloy, and even a little bit to last year with Robert, you will go through uh, valleys, man. You will go peaks and valleys as a rookie seeing a major league hitting. Now he's older than some of these, uh, than Mankata ever was. And, and Aloy was going through this, but he's still going through it as a rookie seeing major league pitching. They have figured him out. And what he is doing, I mean, fortunately or unfortunately, is he's trying to like hit his way and swing his way out of these slumps. Like he is swinging, he is defensive on every two, every swing. And, and he, you're seeing better at bats though, as of late, uh, the discipline that he has, the beauty of your mean, why I think he can, you know, he, I think there's a place for him on this lineup is that he can shoot the ball to right field on an outside pitch, you know, on a breaking ball, you can keep the hands back and have a protective out at bat and advance a runner, even though he wants to desperately pull that ball 420 feet 
he see he sees the ball and he takes the ball where where it should go. That will get him out of these slumps. Um, so I say keep playing him. He has value and he's still a dangerous hitter. You know, a pitching staff, an opposing pitching staff has to still look at this guy. Like if I make a mistake to him, he can put it on the concourse. Uh, but he also is smart enough to, you know, shoot one uh, in the gap and, and drive in a run. What I like about him the most is, and you're hitting on all those points of, it seems like, he got off to a really hot start, right? And then it seems like recently they've, there's been these adjustments and he's kind of sort of shrunk his game just a little bit. When you're talking about the right field stuff, the two-strike survival mode, almost kind of sort of swinging and everything. But yeah, the great part about him is I, I think opposing pitchers don't go up there thinking, you know, this is just some dumb rookie. I can put it four feet outside. And if I just keep burying it in the dirt, the dude's going to swing and I'm going to get out of this. I think he makes you think and work a lot harder than that. And I do have hope for him. I don't know what kind of player he's going to be moving forward, though. I'm just really curious. Is he going to be able to kind of get some of that pull stuff going back into his game moving forward? Or is he just going to kind of settle into that 270, 290 area, which he's already in? And I'd be very, very happy with two strike hitter, maybe like a middle second, third guy. And then maybe you start seeing situations where maybe Zach Collins gets some at bats or Grandal gets off of his feet. You know, Jake Lamb has kind of been a pleasant surprise at times. I think derisively, I think we were like, why the hell are we playing Jake Lamb early on in the season? But he's kind of come up with some nice big hits. I didn't even realize it, dude. Did you know in in 2016, he hit nine triples, 31 doubles, and 29 home runs for the Diamondbacks, and then followed it up the next year with 30 home runs and 105 RBIs? That is the same Jake Lamb that is on this ball club right now. The guy's capable, too, as well. So there are options, too, as well at, at DH. This just keeps speaking to the depth on this White Sox team. Yeah, uh, th- those are impressive numbers. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I sifted through some of the stuff when Lamb was signed. And, and, and this is where uh, it's not the, been the most popular thing to do uh, this season. But you got to give LaRusso some credit. Uh, he has been finding opportunities to get some of these guys in games, set them up for success. It is confusing to us as a fan base, but going back to what we talked about earlier in this episode, this is what we have to deal with because of the injuries and everything that's been going on with this Sox team in 2021. You're going to see Lurie hitting maybe more than he's used to. Lamb getting opportunities so he can give breathers to other guys. Goodwin playing. And and that's, you know, look, look at the blowout uh, this past weekend, the 15-2 to two game against Detroit. And the way Larusa handled it, I thought was brilliant. Like he let Cease only go five innings and then shut down other starters or move them to other positions so he could get bench guys. It was almost like a, a day off without having a day off, right? Because the sacks don't have a breather for a while and have got a very critical stretch. So uh, because of the lamb thing and some other things, that's where I do have to give a TLR a, a nod and say, Hey man, you're, 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 you're moving the board you're moving the pieces on the board well done let's take a quick break to talk about our brand new sponsor moinkbox.com moink was founded by an eighth generation farmer who was featured on shark tank host kevin o'leary at the time said it was the best bacon he'd ever tasted and you know what i tasted it too and i agree question number one for you why do just four companies control 80 percent of the u.s meat industry because big food crushes the little guy you can help change that with moinkbox.com Question two, why are 97% of chickens served in the U.S. dipped in chlorine? Simple, because big food doesn't have the same quality standards as the family farm. 
That's why you need moinkbox.com. And finally, the best bacon, the best steak, the best chicken, and best salmon you'll ever eat won't come from the grocery store. You will only find it on the family farm caught by independent Alaskan fishermen. That's why you need moinkbox.com. So what are you waiting for? Join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V, right now, and listeners to the show get free bacon for an entire year with every box ordered. I'm going to repeat that, free bacon for a year with every box ordered. That's one year of the best bacon you'll ever taste, but only for a limited time, so you have to act now. That's right. Go to moinkbox.com, M-O-I-N-K, box.com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V. That's moinkbox.com slash believe, and get free bacon for a year. Now, back to the pod. Yeah, let's, let's go a little bit further. Is it also fair to maybe posit that all the bumps in the road early on in the season – the mistakes, I mean, some of them were egregious and, you know, I don't know, not knowing rules is, not, is something that you can't really get around, right? But I think maybe the Giolito 114 pitches, some of the lineup choices, some of the other decisions, maybe that is that tinkering kind of paying off a little bit in your eyes? Because this team looks like it's in a rhythm and the buttons are being pushed. You can't give Larusa all the credit for Brian Goodwin driving in five runs in that 15-2 game and getting up to an 8-2 start early in the game. But also, there's a rhythm going on that the Sox have locked into. You know, even with Hendricks, you know, Hendricks is just the guy. Like, just call me, just text me. I'll go in the game. You know, they have that on lockdown now. They've figured that part out. Are you noticing a rhythm that you didn't notice before? Yeah, well, he needs to. Larus is trying to figure out what he's got. You know, and uh, I think good managers they're managing personalities, right? They're managing. Um, they're, they're managing more than just the talent. And he was trying to figure out like, well, how much can I get out of these guys? You know, how much can I get before I need to give them a day off or, or how, how do they perform off the bench? Or if I mix up a lineup, like, are, are, are they better at the top or at the bottom? They can be in both spots, but where are they going to be successful? And, you know, he needed to know what he had and it, it took some time. And I think he's, he's kind of coming into that role. There, there's going to be moments where we're still pulling our hair out of like, why are you bunting in that situation? Or, you know, that's, that is not the right call. Like you should have taken that picture out. We're always going to be doing that. And, and Tony will give us probably other reasons throughout the season to just kind of shake our head. Um, but uh, you know, he's been down this road. He's been down the injury bug road before throughout his uh, managerial life. And I think that gives a calming presence maybe to a team is uh, maybe his message is guys, I, I've been through here. There's a lot of talent on this club. There's a lot of depth, you know, let's play for each other, you know, survive in advance. We're going to get through this. And you know, I, I'm speaking from experience. This isn't a blanket statement of generations and La Russa versus millennials or anything like that. But I think it also says a lot that after La Russa became the second, the manager with the second most wins in major league history, it was fairly well documented that several players, in fact, a host of many players in the White Sox didn't even know that was a thing. Didn't even know that he was breaking the record until after the game, which it doesn't mean that like, oh, the millennials don't care. But I think in a weird way, it kind of speaks to maybe some of the the bumpy terrain early on in the season and whether you like it or not. I mean, even me, like we've criticized Tony La Russa. When you see him get that, get to that number, you can't help, but just kind of give a little bit of that respect and a little bit of the Holy shit. Like this guy's, this guy's been around. This guy's won a lot of damn baseball games. 
And maybe just for some of those players, maybe it just kind of clicked in a little bit where, you know, maybe they'd all of a sudden didn't respect him a thousand percent more, but maybe they respected him 7% more. And I think that kind of progress can go a long way, especially in this long season. Yeah, I think about leadership and you think about, well, when everything's going right, uh, we don't maybe look to our leader very often because we don't need a lot of guidance. We don't need uh, to be put uh, in different situations or be pulled back or tinkered with because everything is moving very well. Well, when there's adversity and guys are scuffling and, you know, we hit rough patches and, and superstars go down. Uh, well, that's when all of a sudden it's like, oh man, we've got to check in with our leader. We've got to check in with our manager uh, and guys like Abreu and TA obviously have been extremely helpful. Uh, I think it's a little bit of a, you know, we might not like Tony Larusa, and, and I'm speaking of maybe for some of the players that are like, eh, I really don't care for how he handles his business, but we respect him, you know? Uh, and, and at the end of the day, uh, we're going to play hard for him because we respect him. I think we've all had coaches or teachers or people in our lives that are like, man, I don't like you, but I have to respect you because uh, you get the best out of me. You get the morning announcements and you realize that like you're celebrating your 50th year as teacher and you just kind of go, damn, that's a long time. You know, you can't take that. You can't take that away from him. Um, I want to tackle one of the mercurial hardest conversations a White Sox fan can have right now. Yasmani Grandal. Uh, where are you at on Yasmani Grandal's season? Um, because we were talking peaks and valleys earlier, and he seems to pretty much epitomize that. Look, if you look at his contract and you are somebody that just says, okay, he's making this much money and he's hitting this, well, I think you are short-sighted. You're, you're missing a lot of what he brings to the table. And he is a guy that gets on base. He sees a lot of pitches. Um, he, uh, you know, he frames, man. He helps out his pitcher. Now, does he get called for catcher interference? Yes. Is he, you know, sometimes not in the best position to block a ball? Sure. Uh, but I think the end goal is to do good by his pitcher, to get that pitcher a couple extra strikes. Um and I think the pitchers understand that uh, offensively, his power numbers are starting to come along, uh, come around because he's getting healthy. I mean, he said uh, he, it's well documented now that he was dealing with some leg issues and, you know, his, the, the power's coming from the legs and he's feeling like he's got a solid foundation now. Uh, and he's been able to, to drive the ball. Um, you know, there's, there's moments where he sees a middle, middle pitch and he just lets it go. And I am just get, get really angry, but I've come around to his ability to, to get on base, you know, walk, and he allows guys behind him now to see other pitches. And that pitcher is getting frustrated because, uh, Yasmani's not biting on some of the stuff that they thought he was going to bite on. So then he has to throw more, more pitches on the mound and it's a cyclical thing, right? Um, so sure, uh, at the beginning of the year, I was extremely frustrated with where he was offensively, but I, I, I see it now. I see the, the method behind the madness. It's ironic. Uh, he's got a batting average that rivals Adam Dunn. I never thought I would like a player ever again that decided to do that. And I think at the end of the day, the dude's going to have to get to 200. I mean, that's kind of really all I'm sort of asking for is you're going to have to get to 200 by the end of the season, but you're bringing up a lot of great points. In the month of June, 250, 447, he's slugging 679. That's pretty damn good, right? I got a great stat for you. 
when Grandal is ahead of the count, so it could be, let's just say a guy throws a first pitch ball. Doesn't matter. If he is ahead in the count, Yasmani Grandal gets on base 67% of the time. That's pretty damn incredible. And you'd like to think eventually the scouting reporter or whatever is just going to have to be like, well, you got to start throwing this guy some some strikes because he's just he's too locked in right now. He knows the zone way too well. You're going to get yourself in trouble if you start nibbling and getting around to the bend. A couple of things I'm looking at. Really weird stat. He's hitting 094 uh, in in day games, in 53-day game of bats. I'm not really sure what that is, but you're hoping that there's kind of a, a bump up there. And then, obviously, against right-handed pitching, it's just been really brutal. And this is the one area that I hope White Sox fans can kind of key in on if they're saying, well, hey, how is Yasmany Grandal going to really turn this season around? You're right, getting healthy is a big part. But right-handed pitching, he's only hitting 120 against right-handers right now with a 380 slugging for his career, 236 450. Give me half. Bring yeah. me halfway on that one. Mm-hmm. We're going to get a lot happier in terms of Yasmani Grandal. And am I crazy? I like Zach Collins' swing. He swings and misses a ton, but I, I think it's a smooth swing. I think he's been an I think he's been one of the better backup catchers you'll probably find. You know, he's been catching the Rodon game, so I think, you know, kind of a gold star there. Am I wrong? I kind of like Zach Collins' swing. He just hasn't made contact quite yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he's got a beautiful swing. He can hit lefty pitching to save his life. Uh, he's still trying to figure it out. I, I think the thing on Zach Collins is uh, the opposite of we, what we all thought. Uh, we all thought as fans, we were going to be talking about his offense this year. We're going to say, man, he's got that sweet swing. He's, he's, he's driving the ball. Look at his slugging. Uh, he's really got to step up his defense. Well, it's been the complete opposite. It, it's his defense that he's being clamored for. And uh, the, the starting pitchers have been giving some so much credit. Um, and the offense is like, we're like, eh, you know, I, I still, I, where is that power? Why, you know, where is that power at where we thought he was never going to be a catcher for this organization? He was just going to be maybe a first baseman or a lefty DH. Um, so I, I'm waiting for some more consistent, uh, we're all waiting for consistent at bats and, but, uh, I have been very surprised and, and, and pleased with the defense. Yeah. I, I, I like the dude's swing. I think it's, it's something that could possibly work. I'm telling you, man, he's like that little leaguer. I like his swing so much that when I'm watching, it's like that little leaguer at the bottom of the lineup. And when he like foul tips the ball back to the net, I'm like, now you're on it. Now you're on it, son. Now you've seen it. You know what it feels like. You felt the contact. You're ready to go. Ready? I mean, he makes a great poster. He would make a great, you know, if posters were still a thing and you put them on your bedroom door, that beautiful, majestic, swooping swing of his would be nice to photograph and have up on the wall. I'll give, I'll give you that. Uh, a couple more before we get you out of here. A couple quick hits. Um, where are you on Andrew Vaughn right now? It's just been kind of a little up and down. Still professional at bats, but he kind of, got going a little bit and then he's kind of taking a step back a little bit in June. Andrew Vaughn is a guy and I don't have a lot of custom jerseys. Uh, I would go get an Andrew Vaughn jersey made um, because I think he is going to be a stud very soon. What he is doing with major league pitching without seeing anything really above double a ball is what can you compare it to? Um, some of the bats he has had, the battles that he has had, the multiple pitch at bats. Uh, just think about the Yankee series when he took Araldis Chapman out late in the game to uh, the opposite field. I mean, this guy's throwing 102 miles an hour, and he's able to do that, square that up. 
uh, you know, offensively, he's going to come around. He like, like what we talked about with your mean, you know, he is going to go through some low periods and he, he just is this year, you know, he's not going to be anywhere what we think he can be. Uh, that's good. That's coming. And you can't stop what's coming. And, and he, um, I think it's good for him to be out in the field, not just be a DH. He can take his mind off of the offense and he's been playing a hell of a left field. I mean, <laughs> our left fielder, man. I mean, <laughs> wow. I hate to ruin the Yerminator party, but when Aloy comes back and the 22, 22 White Sox take the field, Andrew Vaughn's our left fielder. Aloy's our DH. And we're going to mix and match moving forward. I mean, am I wrong? Am I wrong on that? You're not. You're not. I know he is a natural first baseman, um, but things change. I mean, how many players, uh, not only that have gone through our organization, um, I mean, Alexi Ramirez started out as, a, as our center fielder uh, yeah. and then moved to, you know, thank God, our, our shortstop. Uh, it happens. Um, I, I just... You know, I, I know Aloy's not going to want this, and but you, you, he's such a liability out there. And for what Vaughn has been able to do when Aloy couldn't get even a sliver of this in several years, I, sorry, man, uh, Vaughn's got to be out there and uh, you are just going to be a professional swinger. And, and that's, that's fine. It's been impressive. And finally, yeah, Aloy in the net, uh, <laughs> Battle Royale can finally <laughs> call it a close. Um, my last one for you, and I found this to be really interesting. I want to talk about gunk in the gloves right now. And I want to talk about uh, spin rate and what they're calling the, the spider glue, the spider tack. For those of you who aren't very familiar, we'll try and catch you up real quick. Obviously, um, a lot of people are complaining that pitchers right now are using substances or a combination of substances that are creating an adhesive that's a little bit too uh, adherent to allowing the fingers to stay on the baseball to create a spin rate that is making these nasty curveballs and sliders. Curveballs and off-speed pitches are up um, off the charts as opposed to fastballs from years previous. People are starting to bark about it, and MLB has quietly gone to all the teams and said, hey, cut it out. Over the last week, spin rates have gone down almost across the league. Good news for Cubs and White Sox fans. It doesn't look like anybody on, the, on our staffs right now are really the guys that are kind of sticking to or taking advantage of this particular situation. So it looks like they're going to be okay moving forward. Offense kind of went up over the last week. We'll see what happens. But Liam Hendricks on the White Sox, I don't know if you heard this, brought up a brilliant idea. He said, what the hell are we talking about? Why aren't we just creating an MLB-approved adhesive? What is with this gunk in the gloves? Why are we letting everyone go off and like you know do their own chemistry experiments here? You've already got rosin. You've already got the dry bag. You've already got pine tar. This is all approved. They give you so much, you know, whether you're hitting or whether you're pitching or whatever. Why doesn't MLB baseball just create its own version of adhesive? I think Liam Hendricks just brilliantly solved this issue that has been kind of been going on and, and being debated the last couple of weeks. What are your thoughts? Well, I, yeah, Stone, uh, Steve Stone uh, discussed this uh, uniform sticky substance on a telecast. And uh, I, I agree with what Hendricks is talking about. Uh, why I, I don't think i don't know if mlb will ever fully approve it because then that uh is going to hurt pitching or uh, hitting right and you know it, it's this dance that mlb constantly plays it's like do we want to be an offensive minded league or do we want to be a lower scoring you know pitching a defense league and you know years ago uh, players started to see uh what 
it was like to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And then they saw what their bank account was like, so which was good. So steroids, uh, like, oh, okay, that's how much I get paid if I start hitting 40 home runs a year. Well, I'll start putting this in my body. And, and pitchers, you know, over the years have seen, well, okay, if I, you know, can get a little extra spin and get some more, you know, swing and misses, um, we're not really too concerned with a win-loss record with a pitcher as much as we used to years ago. We're more concerned about all of these spin rates and all these sabermetric numbers. And, you know, ERA obviously is, is still important in my mind, but it's all these other like tunneling and like, you know, what, what you can get the ball to do. And pitchers are like, oh, wow, that's what people pay attention with. Oh, well, I know how I can achieve that at a higher level. Like, I'll just start doctoring things up. So, yeah, you know, it, I, I think that if you want to control the offense, then there has to be uh, some sort of advantage to the pitcher beyond just rosin. Yeah, and, and go with Hendrick's comment, make something uniform, have it maybe in the back of the mound or something, or however you're going to use it. Uh, but, you know, it, it, the, how hard they're throwing, too, I think hitters would, would appreciate a little bit of control, too. And if that sticky stuff can get that. And then the hitters know, like, okay, you know, Stone made a great point of, like, if you track everybody's spin rate at the beginning of the season, and it's almost like your handicap, right, as like a bowler or as a golfer, it's like, okay, that's what your spin rate is. That's what we're documenting you at. So if you go advanced with a spin rate in may they're like well, how did you jump 30 rpms or whatever that is you have to be using something you know so i thought that was kind of smart get get it get everybody's spin rate and then and then we can see how how they average out throughout the year with a uniform sticky stuff it's almost getting to the point of like nascar where like you can only do so much with your tires and your engine and it's all got to be up to code and it's kind of sort of getting to that place the funny thing about the Liam Hendricks idea is if they did come up with an MLB approved uh, adhesive, they would change it every year, just like the baseball. You know what I mean? And pitchers would be like, well, last year it was like this. And this year it's like, it's slick, uh, like sunscreen. People talk a lot about trying to change the game right now. You know, we've seen some things already implemented, like the extra inning rule with the guy on second base. I can give you three doors to open right now. Door number one is change the shift. Door number two is pitch clock. Door number three is move the mound back those final five inches or five and a half inches to get to the full, I think it would be 67. Which one of those do you think would perhaps probably the one you'd be most amenable to and the one that you think would maybe help the game the most? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I, I think the shift would help the game the most. However, that's the one that I have the, the, the biggest problem with. I'm one of those people that uh, it's like, be better than the shift. You know, if you don't want to hit into the shift, well then evolve as a hitter. Um, and I know that's probably not going to happen because people have tailored their swings to be a pull hitter. Uh, you know, they're, they're not going to want to go opposite way with a single. Um, I, I mean, I don't know how much a pitch clock uh, manages uh, things. The mound issue is interesting uh, because you know, how would, how would that affect arms? You know, would, would there be, would there be elbow strain? Would, would that be something that we might not get numbers on for a couple of years uh, after pitchers have been, you know, I think with the mound move, I think it's about time that we just try and bring the game back to making 94 miles an hour important again, instead of the standard or, you know, the bare minimum. 
and I think it's a little bit more about now I agree with you the elbow strains and stuff because I think some of these guys like you see DeGrom right DeGrom best pitcher in the game right now bar none is pumping 99 out there from the jump the old adage was remember like the back in the day of like he 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 reared back for something a little extra there later in the game a guy would throw 92 and then the fifth inning he would lean back and throw 95 I think the game is best played when you only have, I think they came out with the stat today. I think there are 93 pitchers that have already thrown 100 mile an hour pitches this season. Mm-hmm. Way too many. We have to get back to like 97 and 98 being special. We have to get back to like 92 to 94 being that standard starters velocity. And that's probably why I would be interested in what a mound move would be like. And I agree with you. You would have to start it. I mean, one guy brought up a great point. He's like, do you know how much money that would cost? You'd have to change every single mound, not just in the major leagues, but it, you know what I mean? In high school and college and minor leagues and every, yeah. the whole dimensions would change. Got to give a little bit here. Um, the the I, whole unit can't have a batting average of 230. Yeah, I, I think I think the shift is probably the most, the thing that you could probably see changing um, that's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be a financial issue and you do something with, you can only have a certain amount of fielders on this side of second base or on this side of second base. And however you try to do that is up to you. Um, I, I could see, I think they're experimenting with it in some, you know, in some, some of the minor leagues uh, right now. And, and I'm curious to see how that plays. Um, but yeah, I, something, you know, this is a game that needs to constantly evolve. It's got to change. Um you know, I, I just, uh, okay. Like I think then going back to, well, then how do you engage people in the game? Like maybe there needs to be a better way of engaging, uh, you know, younger fans into this game. Um, you know, cause we're trying to change it at, at this level where we're enjoying the game, but what if we got people like at a younger level into the game playing more and, 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 you know, supporting our stars and putting the game uh, out there. That's more accessible. And uh, I, I, you know, these are, these are like ongoing every year conversations, right? I will say one thing. I do not like the, uh, I do not like the 10th inning runner on second base uh, move. I I can't stand it. I can wrap my head around it. If it's like, we're going to play 12 or 13 innings. And then after the 13th inning, we're going to change it. Cause let's wrap this shit up. I don't really like 18 inning games in baseball, but I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you. And yet Theo Epstein was on uh, Bill Simmons podcast. If you've heard of that, anyone's ever heard of that before. Very popular. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. no, he had mentioned something where they were doing this data and there was something about like a three minute, 47 second lag time between action in baseball at times. And for a younger generation, that's just not really going to cut it. And honestly, no one really wants to see that either. I'm with you on the shift. My proposal with the shift is just like in basketball, we had an illegal defense or a defensive three seconds in the zone. The same way that when an offensive lineman in football comes in and he needs to declare himself because you can't have a thousand offensive linemen and then turn them into receivers almost the same way you have a blue line in hockey on and on. I just want to get rid of the guy in between the right fielder and the second baseman in that middle area in the outfield. That's the only thing we got to get rid of. You can put as many, you can put everyone on one side of the infield if you want to, but if you are an infielder, you have to have one foot on the infield when the ball is delivered afterwards. If you want to sprint to that position and be moving, 
knock yourself out. You know what I mean? If you want to play up the middle behind second base, I'm okay with that too. I just got it. We got to get rid of, we have to reward hard contact for left-handed hitters. And I think that is definitely one of those ways to probably get that done because I think the lefties are just being destroyed in this game right now when they have that hard contact hit in between the hole and it just nestles right in between that spot between right field and second base. That that's my thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree. Uh, and then the flip of that is when a lefty, um, is able to hit down the third base line. I feel like it's one of the most exciting Pokes it out. Yeah. <laughs> on your feet. Like this guy is going to leg out a triple potentially, um, he might not have meant it, but I, to me, that's like, oh my God, there's nobody there. That whole side of the field is empty oh, run yeah. for days. Uh, super exciting play also is a guy's on first, the left-hander does that and it dribbles, dribbles, dribbles. And now all of a sudden it's a race for the guy mm-hmm. on first and the third baseman <laughs> to get to that third base, right? To cover yeah. the bag. Yeah, man, look, I, I'm with you. Like hit them where they ain't. I'm a thousand percent on board with it. And honestly, what do they always say? The old adage for power hitters is when they start hitting it the opposite way is when you know they're going to get hot and start pulling the ball and hitting them out. I mean, it's been going on forever. There's probably something to it. Hitters should listen to it. But again, the shift does not reward hard contact. We need to get back to just rewarding hard contact. And I get exit velo is a big thing, but exit velo goes into launch angle and all that other stuff. Squaring up the baseball. And, you know, and hitting it hard, I think we just have to get back to that. I think it makes the defense better. I think it makes the offense look cooler. I think it takes some of the ways where the little gaps and stuff where people can score runs. And we're seeing it with this White Sox team a little bit. I love this White Sox team because the six through nine hitters are either like my weight or maybe like lighter. <laughs> and, you know, they're spraying the ball. And, uh, man, I you know, Nicky Magical down for the year. But, man, watching him at the bottom of that lineup smoking a ball and then uh, Tim Anderson hits it. And they're just like, they're going from first to third or first to home. That's exciting baseball for me, man. I, I love that. Yeah. And uh, this white Sox team has been kind of been an epitome of that. So I, I want to keep it going, but we definitely need to start to, you know, keep trying to find ways to, I don't know, tweak this game, this game of baseball a little bit. This season, this sack season is one of those classic, like uh, this is not what we wanted, but it's what we have and just enjoy it. And I think uh, a lot of us in White Sox Nation are trying to uh, try to change it. Like, well, we got to get back to those 400-foot bombs that we were promised, and we got to get back to the power hitting. Well, maybe that's not what's going to happen this year. You know, maybe it is just timely hitting. Maybe it's taking advantage of when a team has more errors than us or decides to give us 11 walks in a game like Detroit did. You know, take that and then have a timely hit and then shut it down with pitching. That's not what you wanted or signed up for uh, when this rebuild began, but that's what's going on and enjoy the ride. Good Guys Talk Back host Nick Morawski here on Believe in Bet on Chicago. Thank you so much for joining, Nick. It's mid-June. It's Chicago summer style, and the White Sox are just killing it right now. Tough series coming up, but then they get a nice little cupcake. I think we might have a couple All-Stars uh, playing in this game this year from the South Side. It feels good, man. Thank you so much for joining the pod. Great to see you. Man, my pleasure, Joey. Thank you for having me on. Uh, always a treat talking socks, but uh, even sweeter when it's first place socks in the summer. Oh, hell yeah, man. And like, I'm just saying right now, my 97 win prediction. 
it's not the road that I thought we were going to travel, but it's kind of looking pretty damn good right now. Thank you so much for joining. Today's episode was brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Make sure you go on your mobile device to sign up today because it's free to sign up and you get a 50% a welcome bonus on your first deposit. And also, make sure you join that Moink movement. Go to MoinkBox.com to get some free meat and, hey, free bacon for a year with every box ordered. Thank you so much for joining this pod today. we got plenty more coming this week. Have a great day. Until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. We will talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.